John in chapter 6. John in chapter 6. And whilst you're doing that, we're going to be talking and reading about the boy. The boy who doesn't have a name. Because the Bible doesn't give him one. Even though I'm sure they asked him his name. They didn't actually record his name. And we're working through a um, series called Unsung Heroes. And whilst you find John chapter 6 and we're looking at the boy, I'd like to read just a couple of things about some boys here. And uh, they're from, thanks to Gordon who, who, who passed this on to me. A little boy was overheard praying, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. After the christening of his baby brother in church, Jason sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, That preacher said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home, and I wanted to stay with you guys. (laughs) Boys say very, very funny things. I recognize, and for those who've ever had boys... Um, as opposed to girls, or you've had the opportunity of having a boy and a girl, you will notice that they are completely different characters, which is how God created it to be. I don't know why we're so surprised by that, but the reality is they are completely different, and I've realized that with my son. And we're going to be reading this morning about the boy. As I said, he has no name, but he is a hero in the, in the Gospels. If I was to ask any man on the street, name me some of Jesus' miracles, I would imagine that this would be certainly in the top three, if not the number one, the feeding of the 5,000. Most people know about it. And they also know that it involves five loaves and two fishes. And they also know that it involves a boy. So why is it that this boy, who was involved in such a remarkable uh, ministry and such a remarkable miracle, they didn't name him. He's an unsung hero, and I will show you why. So let's read it together, shall we? Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw such a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. See, Jesus already has it covered, guys. He already has it covered. You might not know, but he already has things covered. Philip answered him, it will take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will this go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. 
when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming to the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I'm aware for those who were at the vision night that I ministered for around 20 minutes on this. And when we were working through the ministry, uh, Phil actually said, I really think it would be good for us to look at the boy again. And would you be prepared to look at the boy again? So I'm mindful that there are some people who may have heard some of the things that I may say and some of the headlines, certain headlines, but I've endeavored to just give myself again to do a little bit more digging and a bit more research and a bit more understanding around this. Interestingly, the commentators don't really say much about this particular story, as in of, of any real uh, insight. So we'll just have to work through some things, and you'll just have to go with some of my insights this morning. But the first thing I want to say about this story, before we get on to the boy and the unsung hero, this task was utterly impossible. This task was utterly impossible. I'll come on to that uh, uh, well, I'll come on to it now. What, what, what am I meaning by that? Well, of course, there were 5,000 men, and then there would have been women and children there, and I just have no idea how many thousands of people and thousands of mouths there would have been to feed. That's the first thing. The second thing is they didn't have huge containers to be carrying things around. So even if they'd had the food there, they did not have the resource, as in the vehicles, to get it to where they were going because it was up on a mountainside. Jesus said he was up on a mountainside. He sat them down. So they didn't have huge cranes and containers, etc. They were reliant on the, the, the strength of men and women, uh, upon donkeys, upon whatever they could handle. And so they didn't have all those resources. The other thing that they didn't have, they didn't have a Tesco or a Sainsbury's or a co-op or a Waitrose around. They're very much reliant on you know, not even a corner shop. It was, you baked your bread and you caught your fish and you grew some veggies and you worked it through that way. That's how it worked. So the task was utterly impossible because it says there that Philip answered, we don't have enough um, food or, or, or enough money for, for, to feed people, even enough for a bite, never mind a meal. So the task was utterly impossible. Now let's relate that to you and I. How many tasks do you face that are utterly impossible? That husband who's not a believer, who says, I want nothing to do with God, it's alright for you, but I don't want it for me. The task seems impossible. That debt that you may have got yourself into, and you know, you've got credit cards, there's loans, there's mortgages, there's car payments, there's higher purchase, there's, you know, people that you've done. And that's what people, what happens. You may have got yourself into that. That's not a judgment. We all get ourselves in difficult situations. The answer is, if you've got yourself in there, just bring it to the Lord. Don't keep doing it, you know, perpetuating the cycle. Bring it to the Lord. Say you're sorry 
and then ask him to help you to work it through. Share it with some of the people who maybe have helped, some of the services that maybe have helped to help you. But the task is impossible. The task is impossible. That career move, you've gone as far as you can go and you keep pushing doors and it never opens and you think, well, this is where I'm destined to be and then somebody else is getting promoted over you and it just seems utterly impossible. This is where you're going to remain for the rest of your life. That sickness, that disease that we come across people who are suffering with all kinds of life-threatening diseases, the task seems impossible. Debt, loved ones, sickness, career move. Now let's go to world challenges that they seem utterly impossible. You've heard me say this before, but it's worthy again of a mention because it's a good reminder to to all of us the kind of world that we live in. We say the world keeps getting smaller, but unfortunately it may get smaller as in we've got more contact with it, but it certainly doesn't impact us as much as it should do. Because there's a quarter of the world population that live on 10, less than two pounds per week. A quarter of the world's population. There's a third that live without electricity. They have no, no, no access to any electricity. And there's four billion who have no access to cra- cash or credit. That is amazing. Four billion people have no access to cash or to credit. So they are in the, they're in, what they have to do to trade, they have to grow things, they have to make things to trade. And it's traded against other goods. You see, the world gets smaller, but unfortunately, it doesn't become any clearer in our minds because we just get on with what we are doing. Now let's relate it to the church. The task seems impossible because there's scores of churches closing down each week. I agree, it's not as many as the pubs are closing down, thanks be to God, because everywhere you go there's a pub that's closed down. Unfortunately, they've only closed down. It's not because people aren't drinking, it's because people are buying it from Tesco. That's why. But there are scores of churches closing down. And you heard me say earlier, there are 33.2 million adults who have no connection to church in the United Kingdom. 33 million adults. There are 41% of the population that pray, which is quite encouraging. But that means to say there's 59% of the population of the United Kingdom who don't pray. But it is a, a very encouraging statistic for us. It has been cited... That there are 3 million people in the United Kingdom, adults, if invited, would come to church. But they're just not being invited, so they don't come to church. So we see the task that's impossible. The task of this story was impossible. The task that you were facing may be impossible. The task of the world seems impossible. The task of the church seems absolutely impossible. Impossible. Everywhere we look, there's this word, impossible, impossible, impossible. But in the midst of the impossible, God steps in. And this is what happened in this story. Because let's go back to the story, shall we? There there we see in verse 5. Philip says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? What he's saying there is, there is no way that we could get the amount of bread and, and, and meat and food to feed these people. There's just no place I can go to to go and get it. There's no resource there. If that isn't enough, let's then move on to verse 7. 
Because then he says as well, and it would also take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. A year's wages just to have a bite. So he's not only saying, I don't know where to get it from. He's saying, we haven't even got the money to do it either. There's two problems, Jesus. You're saying, let's feed them. How are we going to feed them? It's interesting that Jesus asked Philip because he was from the area. That's why he asked Philip. Philip isn't mentioned that much in the Gospels, really, compared to the other guys. But he was asked because he was actually from the area. And if anybody would know how to solve this problem, it would be Philip. Because he would know how to wheel and deal. And he knows this baker over there. And he knows this person over there. Because he was familiar with the area. But Philip says there's no way that we can sort this out. You see, Jesus knew all along that he was going to sort it because we read it and we paused when we read that. You see, Jesus was highlighting that no natural uh, means would be great enough. No natural means would be great enough. What What is needed here is a miracle. A miracle is needed if we are going to face the impossible. I want to say here at this moment... And in the life of our church, financial resources are not important. Financial resources are not important. I can say that on the back of two things. Number one, what has God said? Number two, what is the vision? Because if God said it, then that should settle it. If God has said it, then that should sort it. Very often though, we run on presumption and God actually hasn't said and then it all goes pear-shaped and then we start blaming God. Well, God never said it in the first point, so we better make sure that our antennas are up, our hearts are open and soft to the things of God, to the whisper of God, because what has God said? Because when God says it, he will sort it. And what is the vision? What are we believing for? Because if we're forever living on the basis that, well, we've got to get all the money in before we move forward, then I want to say that's not vision. That's not faith. That's just making sure that we've got it all covered. And then we can go, any fool, sorry to use that phrase, would go and do that. But the life that we've been called to, a life of faith and vision, is that we see something and then we move and as we go, then God begins to unravel it. I was in a session, I'm just move, moving on this week, uh, Ian Watson, one of the national leaders, began to talk about the sat-nav, thought it was fascinating. He said, the whole satellite navigation system of a car is amazing. Because it can plot your journey out, but it only ever gives you the next step. That was a revelation to me. That's how God works. He's plotted the whole journey out, He understands the journey, the sat-nav, you put it in, it's plotted all the journey out. But guess what? It will only give you the next step. Now we've believed that we've got a vision from God, but God seems to only keep giving us the next step. But we have to walk in the next step that God has for us. And here we see the situation of that he wanted to feed this crowd, and he wanted to bring a lesson to the disciples that were going to last with them forever. And all he was really saying to them is, look, what can we do to feed them? 
And all they came back with is the task is too big. But here we see, stepping onto the scene, is the unsung hero. Is the little boy with no name who comes onto the scene and he steps up to the mark and says, I've got something that I believe can help you. Five loaves and two fishes. Now, please be under, you know, because you've got to really get into the story here. You've really got to get your mind around the story. And it's harder because you all think you know the story, right? But you've got to get in the story. Do you think that out of 5,000 men, women and children, knowing my wife and how she works, do you think all those people would have gone along on the journey with nothing in the bag? It doesn't tell us anything, but do you think that's possible? Do you think he's the only boy who had the sense to have a pack-up? Help me. Of course, that seems logically nonsense. But it was this little boy who stepped up to the mark. He says, we found a little boy. Well, I did find him because he went, please, sir, not please, sir, not can I have some more. I've got something that I think could help you. I think this little boy had been tabanging. I think that's a Derbyshire phrase or a Nottinghamshire phrase. I'm not quite sure. You understand tabanging. He'd been listening. He'd been listening. Because how did you know? He'd been listening to Jesus and this conversation going on. I'm sure he had. You've got to read into the story. Because there would have been other people with other resources. Now let's go further. Do you think the disciples would have gone on this journey without having anything with them? I don't believe that. I believe the disciples would have had more resource than this little boy. I really do. The problem was that they didn't have enough. So they didn't give anything at all. I believe the disciples would have had something there, but they looked at the situation and believed, we don't have enough, so I'm not giving anything at all. Now I'm just reading into the text, and please forgive me, Phil, if you're going to take me to task afterwards, or guys, please, but I'm just reading into it. I honestly believe that these guys would have had resource. But this little boy, with no name, took his five loaves and two fishes. Ian Watson, who I've mentioned, just said something about the satellite navigation. He actually picked up on, he only mentioned just probably two sentences about this little boy, but I grabbed what he got, because he said this, you've got to start with what you've got. My next point is give the little you have. Give the little you have. Start with what you've got. Here's a one-liner. If we offer nothing to God, he will have nothing to use. I'll repeat it. If we offer nothing to God, he will have nothing to use. You all have something to give. Well, begin to give it to God. This little boy came. He had five loaves. Let me make a statement on this because the language of the text is he had five barley loaves. Barley loaves was the bread of the poor. It was the bread of the poor. It wasn't just top quality. It wasn't Tesco's finest. This was the bread of the poor. So this little boy wasn't from aristocracy. This little boy wasn't even from a you know, middle class family. This little boy was from a poor family. And he had five little loaves and two small fishes. And he gave the little 
that he had. He gave the little that he had. We need to be people that give what we have at every level. I'm sorry, I'm stood here this morning. Every song that we sung spoke about surrendering. Every song. Just pinpoint every song that we sung. It's not me being super spiritual because those who mix with me know I'm certainly not super spiritual. And everybody said. <laughs> but I, am, I find it very difficult to sing songs that we've just sung without any sense of pause. Do I really mean this? You see, and in the giving of the little we have, that means that everything that I have is God's. Everything that I have is God's. I'm sorry to mention money again, but every, every being that I have is God's. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. We might not like that language. I don't actually think we do like that language. Because it doesn't fit within our culture, self-sufficient British, do it, we can make it happen kind of culture. Everything that we have is his. his. And I will say again, everything that we need is in this house. Everything that we need for, for ministry and everything that we need for growth and everything we need for productivity and everything we need for expansion is in this house. The problem is some people are not giving the little that they have. You see, we underestimate what can be done. And this will keep us from taking on the task. We underestimate what can be done. Philip says, well, you know, where am I going to get the bread from? There's there's nowhere around. And it's going to take a year's wages to, to feed everybody just to have a little bite. I might have a little bit of resource. I might be able to, but no, just, just leave it alone, Jesus, because it can't be done. And so Philip was basically saying, um, I've, I've taken an analysis of the situation. It can't be done, so we're not taking on the task. That's what we do in, in church life. That's what we do personally. Are you still with me this morning? It's very important, this stuff, because some of the stuff, we just take a, 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 you know, we look at it and we think, well, it can't be done. We, we estimate the tap and we say, no, I'm not, I'm not touching it. And that isn't how Jesus works. You see, the boy gave all. He gave everything. And sometimes we overlook, overlook what we do have because we, we're too busy focusing on what we don't have. I'll repeat that again. We overlook what we do have because we are too busy focusing on what we don't have. Seeing as we're talking about the boys, your, your children will be like my children, whether they're grown up, unless you've had a perfect child. But there are t- times that our children say statements that, you know, if we're trying to endeavor to teach them and train them, not just in the ways of God, but just in good manners and courtesy, it's a journey that we have to go through. It's just a continuing journey. And we, we as many of you guys do, we sponsor a, 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 a little girl from Uganda called Mary. She sits on our fridge. We pray for her every day. We write to her and etc etc and it's great Caroline has a phrase because the children are often focusing on what they don't have rather than what they do have 
So they go to the fridge. Well, where's all the ice creams gone? Well, you've ate them all. Oh, that's not fair. Where's the ice creams? Caroline, a voice in the wilderness. Do you need to go and look at Mary? They're facing Mary. There have even been times when it's been quite interesting that I've said, made a statement in our home, probably usually to do with food. And my Annie will say, Daddy, do you need to go and look at Mary? <laughs> you see, we are so busy focusing on what we don't have, we lose sight of what we actually do have. What we do have. This little boy didn't do that. He was very focused on what he, what he had in his hand. And this is where it becomes really exciting. This is where the story cranks up. This is midway through the, the scene now of the movie where it all starts guns and everything, all the excitements, the, the explosions, the flashing lights because what happened is quite amazing. You see, the little boy gave what he had and momentum begins as you start and move. Momentum begins as you start and move. I don't know about you, but sometimes, and there's quite a bit of bulk that I can shift as in weight, and recently I've been needing to move some things around my garage, and there's some filing cabinets with all kinds of heavy stuff in there, and when I hit on impact, you know, it's just not going. But as I start and move, I can begin to move that thing forward. What am I now doing? It's called momentum. And it becomes easier as I'm going. The problem is many of us don't start and we don't move. We don't start and we don't move. We need to be people that start to move. This little boy started a revolution because he brought his packed lunch. And what happened was, as it was served, and as they came back, what happened? More appeared. I've jumped forward from the story because I want to make a comment in a moment about how Jesus gave thanks. Thanks, but, you know, he said go and serve it. And as they started and moved... They started serving. Help yourself. Grabbing rolls. Help yourself. Grabbing, grabbing rolls. That's some fish. Yeah, left some fish. It's all gone. Okay. Oh, okay. Because how do you think it's happened? That's how it happened. There weren't any more baskets. And there's another point. Where did the baskets come from? Sorry, just to throw it into the, into the thing. Do you think they just conjured them up? That's why I know there was some resource there. But there was some baskets there, and they brought it back to Jesus. I don't think he blessed it again. He only gave thanks once. But as they came, something happened. All oh, right, okay. Here we go again. Andy. And he wasn't in Jesus' name. You know, they were just getting a meal. Julie, Abby, okay. Oh, all right, we'll go again. Thousands of people being fed. Momentum. But what they begun to do was they worked with the little that they had. Give the little you have. And thirdly, it will meet the need. Not only is, do we need to give the little we have, but we have to be mindful that it will meet the need because God says so. Verse 11, it says there, let's go back to the text. 
Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Notice the language, as much as they wanted. You've got to get into the text. I've really delved it. I've loved this story, as much as they wanted. There was no stinginess here. There was no shrinking back. There was no, you know, like an a la carte meal. Have you ever been to those a la carte meals? I mean, John and Sandy will be in the 11th. They love a la carte. They love all that. John, in particular, design. I look at them and thinking, is that it? Is that it? Is that all you're getting? I can't, first time I went to an a la carte thing with them, I don't know whether I've ever told them this, I thought, is that it? And we had to stop home. We weren't married, me and Carol. We stopped by, over at the kebab house and on the way home. I was just famished. I don't want any rude comments from any of you people. This mic's going all over the place, but anyway. But Jesus gave thanks and then gave to everyone as they had, had, had need as much as they wanted. And here's a point. We need to thank God in all circumstances. You've heard me say this before, but you know, don't lose the discipline of giving thanks over a meal. It's not, it's not religion. It's thankfulness to God for what we have. And we have to contrast verse 12 with verse 7. Because then it goes on, as much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. And then verse 12, when they had, all had enough to eat. You see, sometimes you're a little bit polite, aren't you? You take a little bit off of food and you think, well, I want to make sure there's enough for everybody else. And you just take a little bit off, but it certainly hasn't filled you. But then you realise, and I think this is what happened, there were some people who just were very polite. Yes, okay, we'll be very polite and there's one role and... You know, just eating it. And then they realised that something was really happening. And I, I, I'm just reading into it again. Then anybody says, anybody want any more? Yeah, I'll have some more, please. You know, so they come round again. They were filled up. These people were filled up. But contrast it to verse 7, where Philip says, it would take a year's wages to give each of these people a bite. A bite. It will meet the need. And how can so little satisfy so many? The answer is only God. One of our favourite people who we've seen him live but we've never met, Bill Hybels, uses the phrase, only God. How can so little feed so many? So many? Only God. How could, how could so little do so much here in this town? Only God. Only God. How can this church begin to even think about helping another church and establishing something in a town when they're asking for, for, for more money? Only God. It's a great place to be, friend, where we're completely reliant upon God. My last point is this. Not only will it meet the need, but it will now feed others. Because in verse 12 it says there, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Jesus doesn't like waste, evidently. Doesn't like waste. That means to say he won't waste your time, he won't waste your life, he won't waste your resources. You can have confidence that when you give yourself to God, he won't waste you, as other people have done, because he doesn't like any waste at all. Because Jesus said, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered, gathered the, 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 the food up. 
Now, there are three theories, and these are my theories, what happened to me, and you've heard me, you've heard me say this before. First of all, the boy was utterly blessed. Jesus said to this little lad, I tell you what, Sonny, you've done amazing giving the little you had. Now, take these home to your mom and to your family, and just go and bless the socks off the community, right? And here's all the 12 baskets. But the point is, this little boy wasn't going to eat the 12 baskets. He was going to go and give to other people, yeah? The second theory is, actually, the disciples kept it. I actually don't think that's even a theory at all, because I think Jesus would have said, you what? Give it to these bunch of flipping, you know, faithless guys. You must be kidding. But Jesus is more graceful than I am. So that's a theory, that there was 12 baskets, 12 disciples, you know, they all had a basket, and they all went and shared with whoever. The other thing is this, that they collected the 12 baskets, and they gave it away to people who were in need along the journey. They gave away to other people as they're they're around. They're the three theories. I can't think of anything else. Because they certainly wouldn't have gathered them, Hank, and then left them there. Because that would have been waste. What would have been the point? And I don't believe they sent it to the dog or the cat home. Okay, just to to nail it, okay? I don't don't think that happened. Okay. Right, let me move on. That was the edge that now I need to just scrub out. Okay. But the point is this, whatever happened with it, it was used to feed others outside of the, outside of the crowd. Can I turn this mic off because it's doing my head in? Whatever, whatever happened with the food, it was used to feed others outside of the crowd, outside of the crowd. In other words, it was a miracle opportunity to feed others. You see, very often, a miracle becomes another miracle. You receive a miracle and you become a miracle. Okay? You receive a miracle and you become a miracle. One of the guys in the 60s who went real high profile through the 70s and 80s into the early 90s was a man by the name of Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz was a convert of David Wilkerson. And for those who have ever read The Cross and the Switchblade, you'll know him very, very well. Now, what's fascinating about Nicky Cruz was he actually received a miracle. But guess what? He became a miracle to other people that he was seeking to help and reach. And we need to be people that not only receive the miracle, but we also need to be people that give out from the miracle. You will become the miracle. That has been the problem with a lot of revivals. That has been the real issue with the revivals. They've received a miracle. They've received a touch from God. They've received a powerful anointing. But guess what? Then they've just remained where they are. They've kept it. And they've never become the miracle that God intended them to be. I actually believe that if God is going to do what he needs to do in the United Kingdom, we better get ready to not only receive a miracle, that he wants to make sure there are hearts and people who are ready to be the miracle. Because I think he's fed up with waste. I think Jesus, God, the Spirit of God, is fed up with waste. And I think he wants us to be his hands and feet to this world. So we better make sure that if you're looking for a miracle, you better make sure you're ready in your heart 
to be the miracle to other people that you can feed and help and bless. And I'm not talking about just laying a hand on a head. I'm talking about getting a basket of food and helping them. I'm talking about the food bank, giving away food to people. We have received a miracle from God. Now we are being the miracle to other people. Amen. That is what God is looking for. As I close, vision without action. I found this and I found it fascinating in what we've To finish off the story. Vision without action is a daydream. People say, I've got a vision, but you don't do anything with it. It's a daydream. You're daydreaming. You've had too much cheese. Action without a vision is a nightmare. You'll create a nightmare. If you are not clear on what you are doing, if you just get up without any thought of, well, I'm going to go and do it, and you've got no clear pathway, and I often use the word sustainability around this house with the team, you know, it will create a nightmare. But vision and action will create a miracle. It will create a miracle. I believe that God is wanting to do miracles amongst us. I believe we already have a vision. The vision is to go into all the world and make disciples. The vision is to go and feed the poor. The vision is to go and plant churches. The vision is to reach out to those people in and around this neighborhood. The vision is to build the church of God with God as the cornerstone, with God as the chief builder. We have the vision. Now we're saying, come on, let's go and do some action. Give the little that we have. And guess what? Vision and action will actually create momentum. And momentum will bring a miracle to the glory and praise of his name. This little boy was an unsung hero, but not in my eyes. There are many people who talk about the kind of people they want to meet when they go to heaven, wherever heaven is, Phil, actually on your here to eternity. But uh, I want to say that I really want to find out who this little boy is. Who this little boy is. Because he gave the little that he had. But what an outstanding miracle that came about. Through his incredible generosity. Father, help us to give the little that we have. I pray that this little boy would be an inspiration to us all. We often focus on what we don't have rather than on what we do have. We often withhold because we think it will never be enough. And yet you're saying just give what you've got and I'll do the rest. And so help this little boy to be a real inspiration to us. That we will give what we've got. We will give of our best. Even if it's not a lot. We will give everything to you. And we will look to you to give thanks. And to bless what we're given. And Lord we promise. That the miracle that we we receive. We will not keep to ourselves. But we will be the miracle. To those people. Who need a miracle. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And uh, don't forget all the announcements of the week. Uh, Don't forget it's not too late if you've never been baptized. You do need to go and put your name down on the resource hub. And next week, please remember. Please remember. No nine o'clock. Okay, just eleven o'clock baptismal next week. But please come. Don't, Don't itch off. Please come and let's have a great time together. God bless you.